Welcome back to the Renaissance. Boy. Episode 40, I believe. Yes, uh, still talking about the rise of the Medici. The rise of the Medici part three. Right. And rise they will. What did we, what, where did we finish last time, right? I can't remember. Remind yeah. me, it was so long ago. Sure, no problem. So like you were saying earlier, when you have three-fourths of the people of Florence, this dynamic, bustling city who have absolutely no power, no say, they can't form a guild. Um, it's, it's not that the leaders of the, uh, uh, the Signoria were doing such a bad job, but these people, you know, they get frustrated over time. There's this chomp, chompy revolt. That lasts for two years. Eventually, it comes to an end. But Silvestro and Lando de Calrissian, who was in charge of it, are exiled. And like you were saying, the Medici learn their lesson. They pull way back. They're going to focus on um, just making money, building up their financial base. Maybe they'll try again in the future, but this is what, like their second time they tried something outside of business. It has not gone well for them. Let's just go back to making money and bide our time. Yeah. Um, and in the last episode, too, we talked about how the major banking families in Florence had gone bankrupt uh. after lending money to kings who decided they didn't want to pay back their loans. Uh, and <laughs> so the Medici, the Medici in the middle, middle of the 14th century had gone into banking for the first time. But then a couple of setbacks, um, and then Silvestro died in 1388, and the mm-hmm. main Medici banking business was taken over by his cousin, Vieri Medici. I like that. And after several failures, military and political failures, he decides to stay out of politics to the best of his ability. Right. Now, of course, as we've explained, your name gets pulled out of a hat um, yeah. to, to effectively to become a member of the, the city council, so you don't really have much say in it, but... Right. As we've also talked about, you can manipulate that. Um, you know, the wealthy families tried to control the whole political process. But it looks like at this point, Vieri and the rest of the Medicis are like, to all intents and purposes, we're going to try and stay out of politics and just build our bank, right. build our wealth, stay out of trouble, keep our noses clean, build up our wealth. Yeah. Um, now, he managed to set up offices in... Rome and Venice of the Medici Bank. Mm. But just over a decade or so after the first Chompy revolt, there was another revolt. This time it's not led by the Popolo Minuto, but by the Popolo Magro, the lean people. Aw, the hungry, hungry hippo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The people that didn't get it so much to eat that they were literally underdeveloped physically, and they were called the lean people, the little people, or whatever. Um, and as you can, so they take to the streets. They're chanting. They they want they they want to be heard. And as you can imagine, the rest of the city, um, because of what happened with the Chiampi, they're actually ready for this. They join forces, but the revolters think they have an ace up their sleeve. So what they're going to do is they're going to go to Vieri, um, Silvestro's cousin, because they remember how. The Medici last time sympathized with the revolt. So they had their cunning plan because they've got the powers that be of the city lined up 
against them. They go, they stand in Vianney's, Vianney's uh, lawn. He comes out to the window or the balcony, and they say, lead us in our revolt. But like you were saying a second ago, he's like, oh, hell no. I'm just about making money and lying low. So he's not exactly going to tell them what they want to hear. Yeah, he's like when uh, Marcus Antonius was uh, offering Caesar the crown. He's right. Like, no, really? No, <laughs> no, no, no. Thank I you. I uh, like, <laughs> appreciate it. I couldn't possibly. Uh, but can you just get that the fuck away from here? I don't want anyone to see you offer. No. But according to Machiavelli, Vieri told the mob to cheer up for he was willing to act in their defense as long as they followed his advice. Ah. So then he leads them to the Signoria. Oh, shit. Where he makes a big speech to the council members. Mm-hmm. He says, The ignorant behavior of the mob was none of his doing. <laughs> I want that to be and very besides, clear. Yeah. You're very, I want to be very clear about this. <laughs> they I came have to me. nothing to do with this. They yeah. came to me. And as soon as they did, I brought them to you. Because you are the people who run the city, not me. Yeah. Not no, us. No, oh, no, no. no, no. I'm a banker. I brought them to you. I'm a banker. Yeah. So you could deal with them. Now, um, the Signoria apparently believed him. They allowed him to return home. So it's pretty quick thinking on Vieri's part. Yeah. Um, Smart. But uh, despite all of that, he died not long after this. Um, I think too much for him is the shock yeah. of, uh, of, of being asked to, to lead them in a revolt. And with him goes the senior line of the Medici family. Oh. So here we are in 1388. Mm-hmm. They've been in Florence for nearly 200 years, right. the Medici. And the, the senior line, the most prominent line, descended from uh, uh, Chiarissimo right. uh, is gone, wiped out, didn't get anywhere. Made, right. like, made a little bit made of money. money, but yeah, that's it. Got a few houses, had a few cracks at power, <laughs> failed, and it's over. <laughs> or so it might seem to people reading the daily newspapers at right. the time when he dies. Right. But the Medici family's fortunes now pass into the hands of another branch of the family, the Caffagiolo branch. Uh, remember that Caffagiolo is the sort of the little town in the Mugello. Oh, yeah, where they started. Where uh, Everardo, the knight with his shield, uh, fought the not that big giant, <laughs> uh, had settled. Uh, the guy who's the head of this branch of the family is known as Giovanni de Bici de Medici. <laughs> or just the... Joe the bitch. The B to the M. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Joey the bitch. That's uh, how his friends refer to him. Yo! Oh! Joey the oh. bitch! Oh! <laughs> <clears throat> um, he, his branch of the family uh, retained that original uh, property in Cafagiolo. Um, ah. So they come from there. Now, Giovanni was born in 1360. So when uh, Vieri dies in 1388, he's late 20s. He's the fourth son of Avrado Detto Bici, a.k.a. Avrado de Medici III. Basically, he had this, um, you know, 
few properties in the Cafagiolo area. Not rich. Right. Um, little bit of money that Avarado the third had when he died. It was divided between his widow and his five sons. <sighs> um, but Giovanni is determined to play a fairly safe game. Now he, he's he's sympathetic to the the little people, the Oompa Loompas, um, as was uh, Silvestro right. and Vieri. Um, very popular with the people. The Medici's are building up a reputation now as being um, supportive of the the cause of the little people, but it's delicate. They don't want to yeah, be seen to be not... too supportive. Right. Listen, we understand. We feel. Right. It's it's a bit like I don't know a, a politician today. A, 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 let's say a Democrat. Right. Um, let's say a Clinton. Saying, listen, we hear you. We understand that you're pissed off, but we're not going to do anything for you because it's just not the right time. I'm sorry. It's not good for me. I feel As your pain. Yeah, yeah, the Clinton said about, you know, when they when, when Bill passed the fucking, uh, what? Three mar- strikes. The mar- oh, Defense sorry. of Marriage Act. Right. Listen, um we, we we feel your pain, guys, but we're not going to do anything for you. In fact, yeah. we're going to pass a law that says, no, you can't get married. Um, right. we, we understand, we feel it, but, but uh, it's just yeah. not, the, it's it's not, not the right time not the right for time. us to actually do anything for you. In the fullness of time. That, right. In the fullness <laughs> of time, yeah. All things being equal, in the fullness of time. Yeah. Yeah, but I we thought we will revisit the issue and take <laughs> it question. under advisement. Exactly, but for now, fuck off. But I'm on your mm. side, spiritually, mm. theoretically. No, right? No, I thought, yeah. <laughs> spirit, I thought this was interesting. So, um, Avarado did marry into a local aristocratic, the Spini family. So, so at least um, Giovanni's got that going for him. And like you said, when he died, they had to divide up the money between his wife and his sons, his five sons. So it's not like Giovanni's starting off with this, you know, this this bag of gold or whatever. He's going to have to make his own way. And and again, just to take what you said, because he the Medici are known for having sympathies for the poor, untrodden masses. I mean, that's not exactly good for business. It's not exactly good for his business interests, but the the Medici, for good or ill, are stuck with that reputation. We'll just have to see what happens. And to make it even even more uh, harder for the Medici, after the Ciampi revolt and this other revolt that Silvestro helped put down, the oligarchy in Florence are like, okay, no, no, fuck this. We've had enough of this. There's an oligarchy that's set up between the Albizzi, the Caponi, and the Uzano families. And they're like, we're going to lock this thing down. We're going to keep an eye on the poor. And and all, and their um, oligarchy is set up, excuse me, is led by Mazzo Degli Albizzi, if I'm saying his name right. And because they are so focused and serious about this, they're going to have the lockdown on the the government of Florence for the next 30 years. Yes, there's going to be some hiccups here and there, but the point is they're going to focus on prosperity and stability for Florence so they can make money. And the good thing for the oligarchy is that they don't go too far in one direction or another. They're not too harsh, but they're not too unpopular. They do a decent job of balancing out, but they're going to try very hard for as long as they can to make sure there's no major revolts like they've had recently. 
And they're fairly suspicious of the Medici uh, because of their support for the the working classes. um, And they've had a couple of plays that are trying to take more power, so they're keeping an eye on them. Mm. But, you know, Giovanni is, he's he's trying to stay as far as possible out of the public (laughs) eye and just make as much money as possible in the banking business and not piss too many people off. Uh, on either end of the scale, the working classes or the, the, the oligarchy. Right. Now, as a young man, um, he had been sent to the Rome branch by Vieri, mm-hmm. uh, and he had sort of apprenticed at the local ba- branch in Rome. After a few years there, he was made a junior partner. Three nice. years later, he became the manager of the Rome branch. Which wasn't unusual. That's the way that yeah. you made sure that your branch managers had an interest in the success of the business. You would make them a, a partner. You would give them access to the the upside. They'd have shares in the interest. And he did okay. Uh, this business, still being run by Vieri at this point in the 1380s, um, started to make a lot of money. And a lot of it was coming out of the Rome branch that Giovanni was running. Mm. It became an increasingly large share of the profits of the Medici bank. Um, but then Vieri, uh, he starts to get old in the late 80s. Right. He retired, um, died, uh, and, and his the business was dissolved. That's the way you did it back then. When you died, you basically dissolved the business. All of the shareholders got you know their, their cash right. as a result of that. And Giovanni took that opportunity to set up his own uh, bank, his yeah. own uh, Medici bank, um, taking on, yeah, getting some of the money that he got. He also took over the assets and liabilities of Vieri's Rome office and sets up his own branch of the Medici bank in Rome in the sort of early 1390s. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Um, he also, uh, when he's um, the branch manager of the Rome, he gets married, and his his wife has like fifteen hundred florins that he that's now his because that's the law of the land. So he's able to invest that as well. But um, I just found it interesting that so um, his father is dead; it's dissolved, and now he's free to do his own thing. Uh, but at the same time, he's also free uh, free to fail as well. So he's got the Rome branch that he's going to set up. And here's the important date: on October first, thirteen ninety seven, Giovanni sets up a head office in Florence, and it's this date that is generally accepted as a date for the founding of the great Medici bank. So this guy is the one who's going to get it going. But the the important thing is that you're right, even though he got that job and he got promoted because of the family ties, he probably had a pretty solid head on his shoulders. He probably learned a lot in Rome, and so now he has the chance to do it his own way. He's got some money to get started with, and now it's up to him to see if he can continue on with the Medici, but also at the same time, be smart enough to keep his head down and just focus on making money and to not piss off the oligarchy in Florence. And again, keeping in mind that at this point, the Medici have been in Florence for 200 years before the great Medici Bank is founded. 200 years they've been working at this, slowly building up their, their wealth. Now, he still has the branch in Rome, and he's doing quite a bit of business with the papal court, the curia there. Uh, as we said before, you know, it's pretty good to be a banker to a royal court or to the, the, the papal court. 
a lot of risk inherent in that as well, but um, good opportunities for making money. These, you know, I mean, the, the the papal court are effectively kings and princes of right. the papal states, so they're they're living large. Um, and as we'll see as we go forwards, um, cost a lot of money to buy your way into the upper echelons of that. You tended to have to <laughs> go and take a loan from a bank unless you came from a wealthy family, right? Um, now, we, amazingly enough, we still have all of the records of the founding of the Medici Bank under wow. Giovanni. Um, it's kept in the state archives in Florence. The bank had a, a book called the Libro Segreto, the secret book, which uh, is, still exists. Yeah. Uh, all, all, of, all of the private records of the bank. Um, uh, are still kept, which is amazing considering this is like 600 years ago. Right. Now, as we've mentioned over the last couple of episodes, um, Florence is sort of the capital of European banking at this point, largely because of the Florin and how they were very careful to make sure it all always had the, the, the same amount of gold in mm-hmm. the coin. It was very reliable, um, and also it was an important center for wool processing and cloth trading. And so they had trading links all around, uh, Europe. They would get wool from England, from various places around Tuscany. It'd get sent to Florence where it would get refined, dyed, turned into various forms of cloth and then re-exported. And this was a major industry in Florence. This was sort of the backbone of the industry in Florence. Apparently, before the Black Death, the wool processing industry was supposed to have supported as many as 30,000 people. And what did we wow. say the population of Florence was in the thirteen early 1300s? It was around, sort of, I think. Yeah, go ahead. Hmm. Oh, I'm trying to remember back to the Boccaccio episodes. I think we were saying back then it might have been like, 70 or 80,000 people at this stage? Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah. Based on wool. Good. Well, I guess people have to have stuff to wear, right? So, yeah. So nearly a half of the population was involved in the wool industry. That's how important it was uh, to Florence. And that explains the importance of the wool and cloth guilds, the Arte de Calimala and the Arte della Lana, that we talked about in the Boccaccio and um, uh, fucking, fucking, not Boccaccio, the Brunelleschi and Ghiberti episodes. Right, right. Um, the, you know, the baptistery doors and the building of the cupola on the Duomo were paid for by these guilds. They were commissioned because they had a shit ton of money and because they were the <laughs> they were the, the, the core of the economy yeah. of Florence, right? Well, it, this is amazing for me because if you was to say there was a bunch of bank, bankers in Florence and they're rich, you'd be like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But if I was to say to you, but that money started out, uh, the, the, the bankers first got their money from the wool and cloth trade, you'd be like, what? It's just wool. Yeah, but like you were saying, I mean, they're practically covering up most of the humans in Europe. I mean, this this place is known for its wool, and as far as away from Cy- Cyprus and London, people are buying their stuff. So we're talking a ton of money pouring into the city so much, in fact, that they can start their own banks. 
Yeah, and I and I think you know this gets back to the the secrets of the guilds of Florence. They had developed secret techniques for producing very fine right. woolen cloth and very finely dyed with lots of intricate patterns that were uh, uh, desired by the the upper classes, the nobility, the aristocracy of Europe. Uh, which is, you know, they, why the whole guild secret thing was so important. If mm-hmm. if you developed a reputation for producing the the finest dyed wools in the world, yeah, that's something you could you could make a shit ton of money out of that. <laughs> right. By the way, the um, the cathedral um, Santa Maria del Fiore, the the Duomo um, in Florence. Uh, if you go there today, you can see lamb lamb. The emblem of a lamb. Oh, right. Lamb. 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 I thought you had a stroke um, or something. Sorry. <laughs> for some reason, that word just seems weird to me right now. Lamb. Um, which was the emblem of the Arta della Lana, the cloth guild. So uh, the the the, uh, the wool uh, guild, sorry. The Arta della Lana. So um, you can see that uh, on the walls of the Duomo because they, they wow. finance the building of the Duomo. Right. Now, in 1402, uh, the Medici Bank put up 3,000 florins to finance their own cloth-producing workshop. Giovanni ended up owning two wool workshops in Florence. Right. Because, you know, that's the way you vertically integrate a business. Okay, well, instead of loaning money to these guys, we'll just build our own and we'll keep more Ah, of the profits. right. So that's why he was a member of the Arte della Lana as well as the Arte del Cambio, the banking guild. He had an interest in the wool guild and the bank guild. So that's, instead of getting involved in politics, what Giovanni does is start to get more heavily involved in uh, industry, taking a bigger stake in the profits of the wool and cloth business. And and diversifying, yeah. Yeah, and then in, uh, in 1402, again, Records show that he opened an office in Venice where he uh, had some problems. Yeah. Uh, so he opens up this office in Venice, and there's, and the manager there, chosen, I guess, by him is Neri Tornaquinci. How, how do you say his last name? How would you say I would, it? I would go with Tornaquinci. Quinci. Okay, so so he's got this manager. Now, this is important because what they're trying to do is they're trying to access – Venetian trade with Asia. So because of the rules of the Venetians, outsiders aren't allowed to benefit directly from trade. But as we've, like we've done in so many other shows as far as economics, there's a lot of money to be made from ancillary commerce. So they want to get a piece of that. Now, um, by now, the Rome has opened up. Uh, they've also opened up an office in Naples and the port of Geta, 80 miles southeast of Rome. So the point is, he's opening up all of these um, offices, but there is a rule. Giovanni has a rule. You will not do any um, trading with Germans. We don't trust them. They're backward. Um, they, they're just untrustworthy, and it's not a good business practice uh, to trade with them. So whenever he co- creates a branch, he writes that into the contract with the manager. You will not trade with Germans. And I'm married to one. I can vouch for that. Uh, I'm tr- you, under- you understand it? So why, why do you think that they, they are so suspicious of the Germans? 
Um, well, I, I don't know specifically, um, except from my own personal experience, but I wonder if they had bad experiences with the Germans in the past, or they just kind of wanted to, uh, was it a prejudice against the Germans or, or, or they had had something in the past? I'm honestly not sure. Well, I mean, you go back a uh, few hundred years and the Germans had invaded Italy, go back to the Goths. That's um, not good. And then by this stage, the Germans are the Holy Roman Empire, effectively. Right. So the Holy Roman Emperor was uh, German. So maybe there was something to do with that, uh, sort of the rivalries. I think, I think it also had to do with their inability to collect on debts from Germans because the mm. Germans would just go back to Germany and apparently they didn't have a good reputation for paying back their debts. But, um, yeah, as we'll see, uh, near it, Quinci got himself in a little bit of trouble. Um, he ended up loaning some money to Germans uh, against the rules of the bank, and then they absconded. And didn't he? He, he went after them to try yes. and get, get the money back. Well, first, he, yeah, he, he loans money. They make him this outrageously advan- advantageous deal. He says yes. He breaks the rule. They go back through the Brenner, Brenner Pass. They head off to Germany, hide in the forest or whatever. Um, and he um, he borrowed money to try to cover his losses, but he could never make enough profit to make up the loan. Giovanni fi- uh, finds out about this. He fires him. And you're right. And then Neri, because he's lost his job, he's lost everything. He literally goes into Germany to track these guys down to get his money back. And he does find them. Yes. In gets- Poland. He finds them in Poland. Gets, how the fuck you do that in the 1300s or the early 1400s? You hire a detective. He finds these, yeah, he's Batman, this guy. He finds these guys, hunts them down, gets at least some of the money back, and but instead of going back to Florence and giving it to Giovanni, he goes, oh, fuck it, I'll just stay here and open up my own bank. And... Yeah, why so, go back? Because he's been fired, he's humiliated. Just stay there. And I think you're right. I think he starts his own life, a new life with the money he gets from them. Yeah. I just can't believe that he tracked these guys How would down you fucking... in that day and age. Yeah. Amazing. How would you do that? We need to write a detective novel like <laughs> Stephen Saylor's novels and base it on this guy. Right. Now, um, the the... The bank is doing well in the early 1400s, but again, Giovanni is very cautious. He's just trying to consolidate. He's not really trying to uh, make a big name for himself. He just wants to build a very safe business, put a lot of money away, diversify a little bit into some other assets like the the wool workshops, the cloth workshops. Um, but that's it. Yeah. He's he's playing a very safe game. But he didn't grow too fast. He reminds me a bit of Augustus, actually. Mm. Listen, you know, let's just uh, keep our heads down and rebuild and not get too crazy, not be too ambitious. Right. Let's just uh, not overstretch ourselves. Right. Yeah, let's just build a nice, solid, profitable business. Wow, yeah. But like you said, uh, by 1401, he is prominent enough to be selected to be, you know, because he's one of the leading citizens, to uh, to be a part of judging who's going to be the winner for the uh, International, Co- 
international competition who's going to create the new bronze doors for the baptistry. So even though he is trying to lay low, I, I think, the, the, you know, you know, bankers and other people talk to each other. I think word is probably getting out that he is chugging along financially, doing well. But because he keeps his head down, I think he actually earns respect. Oh, look, the, look this at least this line of the Medici's. They're not radicals. They're not trying to lead a revolt. I think he uh, does his family good by laying low and just gathering a reputation as being a conservative businessman. And these are traits that he passes on to his two sons, Cosimo ah. and Lorenzo. Yeah. Only two. He's, you know, a good Catholic should have at least ten. <laughs> um, maybe, Especially rich Catholic. Yeah, I don't know why he only had two. Maybe his wife didn't put out as much. <laughs> I'm not sure. But um, he only had two, Cosimo and Lorenzo. They live in a relatively modest house for a long time. Um, before they move into a slightly larger but still relatively unpretentious house in the Piazza del Duomo. Mm. No, they not far from the cathedral, which was still being built at this stage, Santa Maria del Fiore. Wow. Um, and, yeah, Giovanni was, again, sort of happy to avoid public life as much as possible, but as we've explained, uh, you know, your name gets pulled out of the bag. Yeah. Uh, so in 1402, 1408, 1411, uh, and 1421, he is called to serve on the Signoria. I think in 1421, he was actually the gonfalonieri for two months. But the rest of the time, he's just happy to be a banker, counting his beans behind <laughs> the scenes, just allowing the, the Albizzi family, these um, oligarchs, to run the government. Um, he just keeps his nose down, keeps yeah. his ass clean, <laughs> and just tries to make money, not get into trouble, right. not, uh, not, not get too ambitious. That's what he does with his yeah. life. Uh, you but, really, you really. I'm sorry, I apologize. You really get the sense that yeah. they're thinking generationally. Like you said, they've been here for 200 years. You know what? It's maybe not my time. Maybe one of my sons can try to go for something great. Because I think they are an ambitious family. I don't think it's just about money. Because if it was just about money, I think they would be happy and they would teach their sons to make money. But I think that there's this underlying and maybe to a degree unspoken message we're just biding our time. But you, you get the sense that their ambition is not gone. They're just playing their cards. Um, they're just playing their cards smart. And that certainly doesn't make them evil. That's just human nature to be ambitious when you see people that have more than you or have power or whatever. But you, I, I got the sense when I'm reading these books that they are just literally building, building up their money and biding their time. Yeah, I think that's. I think you're exactly right. They're waiting for their opportunity t to go to the next level, but mm. um, they're playing their cards very safe. And but also, just this general sense of supporting the arts, supporting Florence, supporting uh, the culture of Florence, the little people, is something that Giovanni seems to have taken seriously. And mm -hmm. as you know, we talked about um, when we were doing the Ghiberti and Brunelleschi episodes. Supporting the arts was a way of supporting the little people. People couldn't read. Right. Uh, so building marvellous works of art, supporting that with your wealth, was a way to support the people. It gave them something to look up to, something to admire, something that could teach them through pictures because they couldn't read, right. uh, to inspire them to think about, uh, you know, Jesus, Jesus, or <laughs> morals, or whatever it was. Right. Now... 
Things really started to turn around for Giovanni, though, quite early on. Um, in 1402, he developed a relationship back in his younger days, in the late 1300s when he was in Rome. He developed a relationship with a dodgy bloke at that time called Baldassare Cossa. Right. Now, Baldassare Cossa um, was a bit of a character, to say the least. Right. He was descended from a Neapolitan noble family that had lost all of its money. When he was a young man, he'd run off to see and become a pirate. Dread Pirate Roberts. Where, yeah, the Dread Pirates, <laughs> Baldassare. Um, he made a lot of money as a pirate. Right, Good business. Do. Yeah. Good business being a pirate. Yeah. Um, when he came back from being a pirate, he used that money to go to school, obtained a doctorate in law at the University of Bologna. Wow. And then he bought his way into the church. You know, step one of the plan, become a pirate. Step two. Become a lawyer, which is the same thing. Become a lawyer. Right. Step three. Yeah. Get a a high-ranking position in the church. (laughs) Well, I thought it was interesting. So, so yeah, he gets this degree, uh, doctorate in law at the University of Bologna. And the first thing he does is that he's in the church, but he's a, a cardinal's legate. So he's not actually too high up yet, but he's got access to power. But it doesn't take long for him to look around and to see that he wants more. And again, you're, you're talking about ambition here. So he wants to be a cardinal. He goes from being a cardinal's assistant to going, yeah, I'll have one of those, please. So he wants to buy a cardinal's hat. And as we said in previous episodes, that's pretty much how it, it it's done. If a position comes open, you make a bigger offer than everyone else. And hell, even if the position isn't open, if you go to the cardinal's boss and offer enough money, that guy will get kicked out and you will get the job because it's all about the Benjamins. The church, as we're going to see, the church uses this money, needs this money for wars, but the point is, he is now he is now aiming for a cardinal's hat. He just needs to get hold of uh, oh, I don't know, maybe twelve thousand florins. Yeah. So yeah, everything's up for sale in the church, as we've said <laughs> at different points. Um, <laughs> like that. You know, they've they've gone through the Avignon papacy at this stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, the papacy has gone back to Rome, um, but there's still some problems that we'll get into in a minute. But the the church uh the pope desperately needs money um partly to maintain his military um keep control of the papal states but uh, also you know there's been endless wars between popes and and the kings and right. the popes are living large the popes and the cardinals <laughs> are living like royalty and it's expensive it is to maintain that so you know he's uh you know everything's up for sale yeah. We've talked about all the things that they sell in previous episodes, but a cardinal's hat is one of those. You don't slowly work your way up through no. merit or to become a prince right. of the church. Yeah, you just yeah. buy your way in. Now, 12,000 florins is what it cost <sighs> Baldassar to buy a cardinal's hat. Now, I said in an earlier episode that estimates are that one florin was worth in modern day money somewhere between 140 and 1000 US dollars. That means 12,000 florins right. is somewhere between 1.7 and 120 million US dollars. Well, you know that once you get that job, you're going to rake in the cash. So yeah, it's a pretty big outlay, but you're going to get it back. 
and we've already discussed all the ways that the church was cranking out money. But yeah, it's uh, that's a hell of a price to pay to get a church position. Now, Baldassar had some money, but he didn't have that kind of money. <laughs> I'm not that kind of pirate. So he turns to his friend Giovanni de' Medici and uh-huh. says, dude, yeah. do me a solid. Yeah. Give me some cash. Give me a loan yeah. so I can go and become a cardinal. Now, this guy used to be a pirate. Um, <laughs> not exactly. Maybe, I don't know if that's a great character reference, but... Giovanni has known him now for probably, oh. I don't know, 20 years. Yeah. And he decides he's worth the risk. It, so yeah. he decides to loan him the money to buy a cardinal's hat, even though, according to a contemporary, <laughs> uh, Baldassar's spiritual qualities were zero or minus zero. Negative and numbers. And his cardinal's... His cardinal's residence quickly became notorious for its 200 maids, wives, widows, and many nuns. Hot nuns. That's the best. French maids and hot nuns. (laughs) He knew how to live, uh, Baldassar. Live like a pirate, baby. Here's a mug. Live like a pirate. Now... What's the upside for Giovanni in investing in Baldassar at this juncture, Ray? Well, what's the game plan here? I mean, yeah, I mean, he's gonna, his friend's gonna become a cardinal, make a lot of money, maybe can pay it back, maybe can't, whatever. But the point is, because of the church is so corrupt, and we've we've done this ad nauseum, but because it's so corrupt, it's within the feasibility, it's 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 within the possibility that Cosa could, if things fall a certain way, become pope. And if he does become Pope, he's going to need a banker. And um, Giovanni has spent enough time in Rome when he was in the Rome branch to know that if his bank can become the official bank of the papacy, the money that he has made up until now, which is considerable, will be nothing compared to what he can be making. It will be the sky's the limit. It's a hell of a risk. It's a hell of a gamble. The odds aren't great. But if it happens... All of their dreams will come true. Kind of reminds me of Crassus uh, investing in guys like Julius Caesar exactly. in his early days, exactly. right? You're a smart young kid. Nick, yeah. Yeah. Look, you're smart, you're ambitious, you're ruthless, you, I like uh, you. want to become yeah. you want to become consul. <laughs> Uh, and then once you're consul, then you become pro-consul. Yeah. And you can go and rape and pillage and we can all make a lot of money. So He's investing in Cossa with the idea that Cossa might have a shot right. at becoming Pope. But even if he doesn't, like if, if you get a reputation as a, a good banker, a friendly banker for the Cardinals, then you can get into all the Cardinals' business. Ah. You know, you can get all of the Cardinal market, right? right? And these guys are all living large with palaces and fucking maids and hookers <laughs> and the whole deal, right? So, yeah, he's he's... If he can, even if Costa doesn't work out, if he can get into the cardinal market, yeah. one of them Still is going to become pope. If you can, if you can be in good with the guy who becomes the pope, oh, <sighs> you're going to make a shit ton of money in theory. Right. So, you know, he and Costa have this plan that Costa's going to run for the papacy at some stage, and that's <gasps> where the big money yeah. uh, was to be made. So, um, you know, he 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 becomes Costa's banker. Um, really takes care of everything Cossa wants. Yeah. Cossa wants it, Cossa gets it. That's basically 
That Leo, was Giovanni. Leo Getz. Yes, Leo Getz, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was the Leo Getz of Tobaldasar Cossa. Yeah. Um, and then in 1410, oh. so he buys a Cardinal's hat in 1402. And eight, a mere eight years later, it all pays off when Baldassar Cossa is elected pontiff by the uh, Cardinals and he becomes Pope John the Twenty. <laughs> Third, fuck me, and the Medici Bank have own him fucking lock, stock, and barrel. How in the fuck does Dread Pirate Roberts Roberts become the Pope? <laughs> fuck me, come on. Well, come on. We've seen some of the cunts that have been popes in the previous <laughs> hundred years, man. That's true. Like, yeah. I withdraw my surprise. I withdraw it. And you know, I told you I've been. I told you in an earlier episode. I've been reading um, this book by. Posner, um, God's Bankers, talking yeah. about Pope Pius in the early 20th century and his deals with Hitler and Mussolini. God. Some of the shit that he was writing about the Jews. Yeah. Um, the popes in the late 19th, early 20th century were just as bad. Like, they were all bad. They never got to know if or when they ever cleaned up. These days we think of popes like um, Pope John Paul the Twenty Second. Pope John Paul, was that Pope John Paul the second? Second. I think it was the second. Yeah. <laughs> the guy in the 80s, yeah, right, the Pope. Right, right. Um, nice guy. And, you know, Francis. Uh, yeah. Okay, the Benedict before Francis looked like fucking Emperor Palpatine, but Francis <laughs> seems to be a good good right. guy. Pope John Paul II seemed to be a good guy as yeah. far as we know. These days we tend to think of the popes as fairly benign, powerless, <laughs> Um, you know, they say even Catholics don't listen to them most of the time. Right. They're, they're, you know, they've been protecting fucking child rapists for decades. That's, yeah. We know that. But up until the, at least the middle of the 20th century, these guys were complete fucking cunts <laughs> supporting the fascists left, right and centre and seriously, yeah. like oh, throwing yeah. money, throwing money at supporting the fascists. Um, and... You know, they knew what was going on with the Jews and they turned a blind eye because they hated the Jews and right. would say that. They were writing encyclicals, papal fucking bulls in the, in the, up into the middle of the 20th century going, yeah, fuck the Jews, not our problem. Yeah. Don't like the Jews. They murdered Christ. So anyway, it's, I don't know at what point they went, we better, better fucking clean up our image. I think it was after least, World War Two. At least hide like, it better. Yeah. Shit, yeah, yeah. Tone this Ooh, shit down. Yeah. Tone, <laughs> just say it. In whispers now. Let's whisper let's it tone down. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I, I read a. Um, I was reading last night. Uh, I think it was. I think it was Pius, or one of his representatives. Anyway, was talking to the the head of the Zionist committee in the late thirties, mm-hmm. and it was like, "There's no fucking way we're ever going to let the Jews have any power in Israel." Fuck the Jews. Right. You know, if, if you come to Israel, we're going to have baptism, baptismal set up to baptize you. There's Ooh. no fucking way we're ever letting Jews get a state of their own. That was the position God. of the Pope in the 30s. Yeah. Probably early 40s. You if, know? if I can add on to that, during the Spanish Civil War, the, uh, the Catholic Church sided with the nationalists, with General Franco, as opposed to the, uh, the communists or the people that wanted more you know, power for the people or whatever. And some of the atrocities that were committed were certainly committed um, at the behest of the priests. And so whenever the, uh, 
I'm just going to call them peasants, whenever the peasants took over a town, even if it was just for a little while, one of the first things they would do is try to kill all the priests uh, that they could because they knew that they were some of the worst people that were fighting against them. So yeah, not the church's best time. Well, there's never been a best That's time true. for the church. That's the point. Like, the more you That's read... True. It's whenever I get into debates with Christians and they go, oh, Name well, one good time. Know, one good phase. Yeah. yeah. Christians these days, I get into a debate about, you know, this or that Christian term. They go, well, he's not a real Christian. I go, well, based on what? Well, you know... Fucking, I don't know. Like the history of Christianity is the history of violence and intolerance. That's right. kind of the, the, my, my ending speech in my film is me going on about, you know, on if you, look, look, let's just be honest. For Read a second. history. Right. The history of Christianity from the fucking moment that Constantine gave them legal coverage mm-hmm. in fucking 305 or 307 or wherever it was, from that moment on, they have been intolerant and violent towards anyone who didn't get on board. Yes, there have been good Christians. Don't get me wrong. There have been nice Christians, good Christians, as yeah. much as they're nice, good fucking Muslims and Jews and atheists exactly. and Buddhists and whatever. Um, <clears throat> but the history of Christianity from that juncture on uh, has been one uh, of, of official intolerance, at the very least, right. even towards other Christians, and massive violence. So these are the people who ran the religion, not just the Catholics either, like the Protestants as well, and, and the fucking Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses and everywhere you look. Massive violence uh, uh, from that moment on. The Goths, the Aryans, the Trinitarians, everywhere. Yeah. The people who ran Christianity for the vast majority of its history, were violent and intolerant. So don't tell me these people aren't Christians. These are the people who ran the religion. You don't get to say who's a Christian. Right. Anyway, don't get me started. Uh, <laughs> Too late. Where was I? Pope John. No, so <laughs> Baldassar Cossa yeah. becomes Pope, but there's a slight problem, Ray. <laughs> yeah? Is it that he is one of several popes? Yeah. yeah. He's actually an anti-pope. <laughs> <laughs> He's a Sith Pope. Okay. All right. Is so it, Yeah. So so the the fucking Avignon Papacy is over like, I don't know, the thirteen seventies, right? We talked about it in a previous episode. Right. Right. Pope Gregory the Eleventh yeah. returns the papacy to Rome, thirteen seventy seven, thirteen seventy eight, dies a year later. Right. Fucking <laughs> big problem. He dies. <laughs> yeah. So the 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 Romans, yeah, fucking Romans. riot, right? To ensure that a Roman is elected pope. Obviously, all these popes for the last eighty years have been French. French, the worst. No, just joking. <laughs> Sorry, just joking. Yeah, the and Romans corrupt. are like, yeah, it's time for a Roman. Like, if we're gonna have a corrupt pope, let's have a corrupt Roman pope. Right. <laughs> but the cardinals. Right. Can't agree on a Roman. They end up electing the Archbishop of Naples, oh. who becomes Urban the Sixth. Right, which means okay. Now we don't have a French Pope who does everything the French King does him. Now we've got a Neapolitan Pope who's going to do everything that Queen Joan of Naples tells him to do. Oh, so the Cardinals get the hell out of Rome before people <laughs> figure out what's happened. They fuck off. They, they, they get out of Rome straight away. Right. 
for midnight. They're like, all right, we, we elect this guy. Let's all get the fuck get out the before fuck. people find out what we did. Call Uber. And Urban, Pope Urban the Sixth, turns out to be a bit of a dick. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> this leads to some problems. Now, let me ask you, because I heard two different versions, and we've done enough history to know that when you don't like someone, the first thing you do is you destroy their character or you spin and you and you say bad things about them. One, I heard that um, he was a decent archbishop or whatever he was, um, but when he became pope, that it was too much for him, that he falls apart, or that it went to his head and he started um, treating everybody bad. He had violent outbursts at the Cardinals, especially the French Cardinals. But the other version of that was I also heard that he was saying things that the French, that the Cardinals in general, but certainly the French Cardinals didn't want to hear that he wanted them to carry on their duties without gratuities or gifts. He wanted them not to accept annuities. He wanted them to cut back on their luxurious lifestyles. And of course, you know, being a Cardinal in the church, that's why you get that because you're going to make a ton of cash and you're going to have a pretty nice life. So if the, if your boss starts suddenly saying, I want you to tone it down and try to live like proper priests. Yeah. I I mean, they're going to get mad. They're going to they're going to try to fight back, and they might even spread rumors about him. So I don't know if it was truly him that just couldn't handle the job, or he was telling them what they didn't want to hear. So they besmirched his reputation. Well, that was their version of he can't handle the job. Your job, yeah, is to help us keep making money. <laughs> <laughs> that's the job oh, of the pope. Oh, that's my job. Okay, that's your job. All right. Yeah. Yeah, no, he apparently, uh, as you said, told them to, like, fucking rein it in, condemned <laughs> their lives of luxury and corruption. So they were, of course, pissed. Now, yeah. he did uh-huh. do the usual thing. He, he he took as many of his relatives as he could pull up from under rocks and made them all cardinals. <laughs> so, again, when when you one of the, one of the upsides of being pope is that you get to make all of your family members yeah. wealthy and powerful by making them cardinals and then you're they might cardinal. become popes. And you're a cardinal. Yeah. Yeah. So he does that, but everyone had done that. That, that yeah, wasn't no you. That's, that was basically par for the course. Right. But, uh, yeah, he starts apparently telling the cardinals to stop living like fucking cunts. <laughs> and they, they get pissed. So five months after his election, <sighs> they meet at a place called Anyani right. and uh, they invite... Urban to come and meet with them. Oh, listen, I don't know what you're doing on Tuesday. Uh, this is in central Italy, right. right? So they're yeah. like, hey, go on, on, listen, yeah. um, what, I don't know what you're doing on Tuesday, but a few of us are getting together, having a bit of a uh, bit of wine, cucumber sandwiches, right? Uh, just going to chat about how things are going. Yeah, uh, checking in, drop on by, just touching, yeah, touch touching base. Could you, could you swing by? <laughs> just like the. He goes, well, no, no, you come to Rome. No, well, no, listen. Yeah. We got, got the pie we cart would, all set up. We would love, we would love to come to you, but, the, you know, really, yeah. we've, we've, yeah, we, yeah. We've, 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 there's a lot more of us here. We got, we, like, it's just, yeah. It's, we, look, you told us. <laughs> Stop spending as much money. Now there's right. there's a hundred of us. If right. we have to come to you yeah. with our with our entourages oh, and all fucking yeah, it's like yeah. and, and we tried to book rooms. The hotels are all booked out <laughs> at this time of year in Rome. Yeah. And we really you should come to us. Yeah. And and to be honest, now, the assassin we hired, he's here. He only works <laughs> here, so we'd really appreciate it if yeah. if you'd come here and get Frenched. 
Well, see, Urban had read um, Rain Cam's rules on <laughs> the things you don't do. When don't go to dinner parties, right? Yeah. Rule number one: <laughs> never accept an invitation to go to dinner or lunch. Breakfast is okay. Yeah, but breakfast. You know, people don't tend to get assassinated Not over so bacon and eggs. Right. But lunch, dinner, <laughs> right out. Feasts, no, yeah. right out. Right Rule out. number one: you don't. He's awake up to this, Urban. He's like, oh, I see what's going on here. Oh, thank you, Ray. Thank you, Cam. Yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> Bless you. Ryan Cam's rule number one, turn down invitations to dinner. So he goes, no, 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 no I can't. You come to me. I'm not going to you. You come to me. Yeah. Reminds me of um, fucking uh, 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 Goodfellas, right, when right. Joe Pesci is getting, he's becoming a made man. You're right. Like, oh, it's all good. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna take you out. We're gonna, we're gonna, yeah. you know, it's gonna be great. All your friends are gonna be there. So he 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 realizes what's coming yeah. here. Uh, they're going to kill the Pope. That's what it's coming. Cardinals He's, are killing. This is the fucking Catholic Church, people. <laughs> the Pope <laughs> believes that the Cardinals yeah. are going to have him at least arrested, probably yeah. assassinated. Oh, he, Beat he up. tripped over. Yeah, he he committed suicide. Shot himself twice in the back of the head <laughs> with his hands while tied. he was tied up. Yeah, behind his back. <laughs> How did he get a gun? Oh, he must have had it hidden Those on him somewhere. We don't really know. Yeah. 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 Sneaky Pope Urban. <laughs> so uh, in his absence, they issue a manifesto oh, of grievances. Right. Declare his election invalid. They said, listen, we were under pressure. Yeah. Uh, there Fucking was a Romans. mob. <laughs> There was a mob of Romans. Yeah. We couldn't think straight. We couldn't hear straight. <laughs> we remember when they set fire to, like, a hundred years ago when oh, yeah. we, we tried to elect a pope. They set fire to the fucking joint. Um, <laughs> so they elect a new pope, oh. Robert of Geneva. They basically depose the pope. Right. And elect a new guy. Now, Robert... Remember a few episodes ago we were talking about um, like the the Avignon popes trying to take back the papal states. Right. They had this this guy Cardinal Al- Albornoz, the Albatross. Yeah, Cardinal Gill. Albatross. Yeah. Albatross <laughs> for sale. Uh, for sale. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I never played that clip. I meant to play that clip in that episode. I never got around to it. Anyway, um, who had been the commander of the papal troops? Well, Robert is the new albatross. He's right. a, uh, a militant cleric. Oh. Um, they, they, he's like a, he, you know, he, he heads these troops. They, they call him the new pope. He takes the name Clement the Seventh. This is happening in 1417. Uh, so this is when the... Uh, 1417? No, no, sorry. This is 1378. Uh, September, right. This, yes. Yeah. This this is the beginning of the Great Schism, oh. which divided Christendom until 1417. So you're telling me we go from the Avignon Popes to the Great Schism? Straight into the go, Great Schism. Good going, they church. slid. Good going. Yeah, they slid from the Avignon Papacy <laughs> straight into the Great Schism. Within six months, all, they had six all months of up. fucking yeah. calm. Yeah. And then they slide straight into this. Now, 
obviously, this isn't going to fly. So they they excommunicated Urban. They right. excommunicated the Pope. Um, but he excommunicated Robert. They're all excommunicating each other. Good for him. Uh, the 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 Robert, who's French, by the way, Robert of Geneva. He he declares Urban the Antichrist. Oh, this is too confusing. And and where is Clement the Seventh going to set up his court? Uh, I don't know. Where did he set up his court? Back in Avignon. Avignon. So you yeah. got again the robe. The Roman Pope and the French Pope was starting all over again. Yeah, and, and they excommunicate each other. Yeah. He's declared the Antichrist. He goes, hold on. They fucking gave me the job. Well, yes, but then they ungave you the job. Exactly. Can you fire a now, Pope? Yes, apparently. Now, Catherine of Siena, yeah, who we tough. talked about, uh, yeah, she defended Urban. She called the Cardinals devils in human form. Oh. Yeah, and she's not wrong. And she's, and she's like the fucking pinnacle of yeah. uh, virtue. She's, she's got, as I recall, she has Jesus's foreskin as a <laughs> wedding ring. <laughs> That's Catherine right, of buddy. So like, That's right. she, yeah. they don't come more holy than Catherine <laughs> of Siena. Don't let's not fuck around here. Yeah, she, they say on what by what authority? She goes, look at this motherfucker. You know what this is? Jesus's fucking foreskin around my finger. I stuck my finger no. into Jesus's foreskin. That's how, and I didn't get struck down by. That's how holy. Right. You, you want to stick your finger? Yeah. They go. Well, we've only got his anus to be sticking your finger <laughs> with the foreskin. It's not the same. The holy foreskin. It's not the same. I summon. <laughs> just like wore, like Green power. Lantern's ring. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> through brightest day, through darkest night. I call upon the powers of the holy foreskin to smite my enemies. Oh, I wonder if it was like green energy or yellow energy that comes out of the holy I'm foreskin. Get sick. Oh, probably. But what? what brown ma- energy. <laughs> what makes this so crazy is that obviously the churches Christians. in the cry the church me. <laughs> Fucking yeah, no, because we, we were saying that even though God's not real, her faith is the most genuine thing that I'm getting out of it, this episode in history. She truly is. She truly believes she's backing the Pope that was legitimately um, made Pope, and she's calling the cardinals out for their duplicity. And again, I'm I'm amazed she's still alive, but she does survive this. But what makes all this weird is that the church obviously has been in crisis before. This is nothing new, and there's been rival anti popes in the past. However, those popes were elected by other factions, which actually makes sense. But now we have two popes elected by the same same group of leaders, and this is going to confuse the fuck out of everybody, because all the kings throughout Europe, they're not going to know who to back, because they've both been elected by the same group of cardinals. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> so then Urban has a falling out with Queen Joan of Naples, uh, because he starts... Bossing her around, basically. He starts Ooh. acting like a feudal overlord, right. which he kind of was. Yeah. Uh, you she know, was he's like, him. well, technically speaking, Naples is under my control because I'm the fucking Pope, <laughs> so you should do what I say. She's like, fuck you're, you. You're a Pope, not the Pope. 
Yeah. So she throws her support behind Clement the Seventh. Oh. Uh, Urban excommunicates her, Queen oh, Joanna. Shit. Right. Then he preaches a crusade against her. Damn! What a dick. Now I seem to recall um, it was Queen Joanna. She had this problem, right, where her husband got assassinated. Right. Remember that Andrew yes. of Hungary. Um, I think Petrarch got involved in all of this. Uh, her, her husband yeah. and no, Laura. Was it Laura? Somebody fucking. We told this story. Uh, oh. Got involved in all but of this. But she's her. Yeah, and yeah. she's had an incredible life up to this moment. Yeah, yeah. She's the daughter of um, Robert King of Naples. Of Naples. Right. Anyway, she's she's got some problems where she's not like Boccaccio. Um, Boccaccio was uh, friendly mm. to her, I think. And, okay. Uh, anyway, she's got herself in a bit of a sticky pickle. Yeah. Um, already there are there are members of royal families who don't like her because of the way that her uh, her husband was was assassinated. People thought she was in right. on it. Right. I remember there was lots of factions going on. Anyway, oh, yeah. he preaches a crusade against her. So her cousin Charles of Durazzo, mm-hmm. who had actually been a hostage as a child in her court, he is now declared King of Naples by Pope Urban in 1382. Right. He says, listen, here's the deal. I will excommunicate her, strip her power, declare Mm -hmm. you king. I want you to march on Naples. Right. What I want is when you take power, you hand over um, a whole bunch of areas that used to be part of the papal ah. states. Give them back to me, Capua. Uh, you mentioned the fucking um, the 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 capul the Capulets before when they from Capua. Um, yes, the Caserta, Aversa, Nocera, Amalfi. You're going to hand them over to my nephew. He goes right. right you are right. You are gov. <laughs> Off we go. So what about Charles? Joan? Yeah. Ch- Chucky of Durazzo marches on the Kingdom of Naples with a, an army made up of Croatians and mercenaries from Sir John Hawkwood. Oh, yes, we talked we about mentioned, him. We mentioned, yes. talked about him earlier, great mercenary leader, British mercenary leader. Florence um, paid him off, he, yeah. Yeah. He defeats uh, Joan's husband, Otto, Duke of Brunswick, Grubenhagen, right. <laughs> at San Germano. Seizes the city, lays siege to Joanna, who's holed up in the Castel del Ovo. Oh, I I get the feeling that she's not long for this world, but I don't know that for sure. <laughs> I should keep going then. Yes, please. I know. I know we're 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 at time, but I'll, I'll yeah. I just want to finish this story. We'll come please. to a finishing point somewhere. So Otto tries to rescue her, fails. Charles captures her. Puts her uh, in a prison, a place called San Fele. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he hears that her adopted heir, Louis I of Anjou, is coming to rescue her. Oh, he's, shit. he's set out on an expedition. So Charles has Queen Joan strangled <sighs> in her prison cell in 1382. She, I'm surprised she made it this far. I mean, being a woman and a ruler and things like that, but she had an incredible life. So another casualty 
of the Pope and the anti-Pope and things are falling apart. And again, every all the other kings have to decide who they're going to back. So it's gone right back to this fucked up situation. So the deal that Chucky, Chucky B, Chucky D had, um, Charles of Dorado, Chucky D had, Chuck D from Public Enemy had with, <laughs> with Pope Urban was that when he got control of Naples, he'd give him all this land. Well, by the time he got control of Naples, Louis of Anjou had taken control of all those lands, so he couldn't fulfil his deal with Urban. He's like, sorry, bro, oh, listen, um, thanks for right. making me king and everything, but um, <laughs> I can't hold up my end of the bargain. Now, Urban, got it. Urban, meanwhile, is holed up in the Castle Sant'Angelo, the, a.k.a. the mausoleum, mausoleum of Hadrian. Now, do you remember, wow. after we left the Vatican... We, we walked. Uh, we walked for a few blocks, and then we stopped at a little place and had gelato and coffee. Right, I do. We could and a beer, uh, even though it was like eleven o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> yes. We were also fucking depressed and exhausted and angry after having spent three hours at the Vatican, which was just the worst. Yeah, um, <laughs> we we could um, we could see the castle. It was just down the river a bit from where we stopped and yeah. had gelato. Somebody had pointed right. out to us, I come at some stage, maybe on a bus tour or a guide or somebody had said that was the, the, the place where the popes used to hold up. So the mausoleum of Hadrian, it had been turned into the Castle San Angelo. It was built between 134 and 139, about the same period as the Pantheon or the current version of the Pantheon. Right. Converted into a military fortress in 401. The, when the Visigoths came through, uh, with Alaric sacking of Rome around 410, all of the urns and the ashes were chucked away. They 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 looted oh. the place. All of the original right. statues and everything um, were destroyed. I think they were thrown down by the Romans who were in there attacking the Goths. You said earlier, uh, this episode of the previous one, when there were riots between the nobility in Florence, people would stand up on the parapets of, of, of the castles and throw shit down at people. They, right. they did that with the statues from uh, oh Hadrian's God. time. They were throwing shit down. Oh, my God. Anyway, its name, <laughs> Castle San Angelo, St. Angelo, apparently gets its name. The legend is, is that the Archangel Michael sure. appeared on top of the mausoleum, sheathing his sword as a sign that the plague had ended in 590. Sure. True story. True story. <laughs> now, the popes converted it into a, a castle when they returned to Rome after Avignon. Um, a bit before even they went to Avignon in the 1200s, Pope Nicholas III connected the castle to St. Peter's. Right. Um, it's covered by this long fortified corridor called the Passetto di Borgio, um, it was an escape route for the popes. So mm. by Urban's time, that's where he's gone. He's escaped from St. Peter's down under the Passetto. He's in Castle San Angelo and he's under siege. Oh. Uh, he decides he's going to flee to Naples and have it out with Charles. About, hey, fucking I made you king. Where's, <laughs> where's right. the Savioli? So he gets to Naples Knocks on the door. Hello, I'm here to see Charles. <laughs> Who is it? It's the Pope. Oh, and I'll ask him, but we've already got. I don't think he'd be very interested. We've already got one. You see? No, no, I'm the real Pope. Well, that's not what I've heard. No. I have. Look, I got the badge. Well, this other guy's here. He says he's the Pope. He's got a badge too. <laughs> he basically gets arrested. Well, not arrested. He he ends up at a place called Nocera, 
Um, right. and, and there's a tower in Nochera. It's like his papal tower kind of thing. He gets laid. He gets put under siege there by Charles. He oh. makes Charles king. Then he goes to have words with Charles, and Charles goes, "Fuck you! I'm taking you down, man." So he puts him under siege. A price is put on his head. Charles is king. He's got what he wanted. Yeah. Fucking hell! It's a great story, man. So he's uh, so <laughs> Urban is holed up in this tower in Nochera for six months. Oh, basically writing angry letters to anyone who will listen, going, "Help! Help! I'm being oppressed. Come see the." <laughs> Something inherent in the system. Can't remember the line now. Shit. What happened to all that Monty Python I watched oh, in my teenage years? Oh Come see God. the violence inherent in the yeah, system. In the system. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's holed up. He eventually gets rescued by two barons from Naples and escapes to Genoa. Now, however, several of his cardinals who were holed right. up in Nochera with him, um, because he was he was you know, too obstinate to do a deal with charge. They basically turn on him um, oh. and and determine, and, and sorry, insist that they get put in charge of the Pope. They're like, look, this guy can't be trusted. <laughs> These are the cardinals that even stuck with him, right? They're, they're yeah. Yeah, friendly cardinals. They decide this guy is just, you know, he, he shouldn't be Pope anymore. Right. Um, they say, listen, we need, to, we need to be put in control of the Pope. He has yeah. them seized, tortured, and put <sighs> to death. The Pope has cardinals <laughs> tortured and put to death. That's how you do it, son. I guess he was a dick. I take back everything I said. Maybe he was a dick. I don't, I don't know, man. Um, so anyway, I mean, there's a few cardinals that I think should be tortured and put to death, but I'm not allowed to <laughs> no, talk about no, them. No, no, no. Because they're yeah. under a fucking gag mm-hmm. order. Anywho, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't believe that. You know my feelings on such things. People do what they have to do. I mean, there's no yeah. point being a dick about it. Pr- right. Put them in prison, sure. Um, but no torture. Yeah. Now, unless it's made to li- watch reality TV shows, we have to watch That's The punishment. Apprentice. Right. We watch The Apprentice on re- uh, reruns. Um, All 14 years constantly. or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. Trump snorting Adderall off camera. <laughs> you um, fired. <laughs> now, the Pope's uh, support plummets uh, during this period. Um, he, he, I think he still has, he's still popular in England for some reason, Portugal, some of the northern Italian states, and the Holy Roman Emperor, Charles IV yeah. at this stage, um, who, you know, brings the rest of the sort of princes of Germany. But then... Charles, the Holy Roman Emperor, dies um, in 1386. Uh, no, it was a ch- no. Which one? Chuck. Chuck dies. Which Charles? Fuck. Um, in, in time, they're both going to die. Dies. They're both going to die. And they're both going to be replaced. Pope Boniface the Ninth is elected the Pope in Rome in 1389. Wait, wait, wait. Chuck, but Urban dies in 1388 after he yeah. fell off his mule in Narnia. Right. Okay. He fell off a mule <laughs> Maybe and it was died. A very tall mule. I don't know. Or a very fast mule. He was like, watch this mule go. Whoa, 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 mule. <laughs> Flipped over his head and died. There were rumors that he was actually poisoned. Yeah. Uh, everyone said, what happened? Oh, he fell off his mule. Well, how did you die? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Bad luck, I guess. He's an old, yeah. And he was replaced yeah. by Pope Boniface the Ninth. Yeah. 
Um, and yeah, the anti-pope Benedict the Thirteenth, who's yeah, still in the, Avignon. Right, he's the second anti-pope still in um, in Avignon, elected thirteen ninety four. But see, here's the part for me. So, so you got two new popes. You got the Pope in Rome. You got the second anti-pope. But then comes a real chance to end all this drama. Pope Boniface, uh, however you say his name, in Rome, the one in Rome, dies in 1404. And the Roman cardinals actually do something intelligent. They reach out to the Avignon cardinals and they try to work out a deal. Look, hey, maybe we won't elect a new pope and you bring that pope here. That way you get to keep your power base. But Rome gets its pope back. But there's no deal that's made. So the Roman cardinals now elect Pope Innocent the seventh. So we're right back to where we were having two popes. Right. Which gets us back to Baldassar Cossa, yeah. aka anti Pope John the 23rd, friend of Giovanni de' Medici. So by, by this stage, by 1410 or whenever it is when <clears throat> Cossa becomes Pope, um, banking had obviously become essential to the papacy, um, and there's multiple popes, so there's lo- lots of bankers doing business <laughs> with lots of popes. Right. Um, as we've explained before, the papacy made money from selling appointments like a cardinal's hat, which is worth tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, they involved uh, selling holy relics, which, right. you know, made in China. Probably yeah, but it's probably worth explaining the power of a holy relic. Like, mm-hmm. if you could get your hands on a holy relic, right. we've got we've got Jesus's holy foreskin. Um, <laughs> it could transform the the economy of an entire region. People oh, would yeah. flock. The yeah. masses would flock to touch the holy foreskin of Jesus. Right. <laughs> Who wouldn't? And you stay in hotels or you stay in inns and you eat at restaurants and you have to travel. I mean, it, yeah, it generates massive amounts of money. If you can get something that, you know, 50, 70,000 people want to see and they're willing to pay, you're right. That city becomes, it's on the map. It's now making serious bank. And it's a bit like Comic-Con. So it costs right. money to get in <laughs> yeah, to see the holy foreskin. Right. Once you're in, if you want to get up close. Yeah. You have to pay another fl- – it's like one florin just to get in the door. Say, right. I was in the same room as the Holy Foreskin. If you want to get up close, to have a closer look, right. it's another florin. If you, want to, totally if, you want to, if you want to be able to sniff the Holy Foreskin, yeah. you have to pay That's- another florin. If you want to lick it, right. no. it's another one. If you want to put it on as a ring, like Catherine of Siena, and get a selfie taken with it, <coughs> there's another fee, and that's right. what happened. She ended up absconding with it. Right. She went, well, hey, hiked up a nun's skirts <laughs> and ran out wearing the holy foreskin on her finger after oh. she got a selfie. Yeah. So holy, holy relics are a big deal. Now, then, of course, you had the, the indulgences right. where I love how the fucking – like the indulgences, we've talked about this a bit before – you, if you committed a lot of sins, you could buy a papal pardon. Peter Piper picked a papal pardon <laughs> for the price of an indulgence. Right. Um, but then you could, you could buy indulgences for future sins. You go, well, um, Get the fuck out of here. you go to your indulgence sales room and you go, well, right. what, what are you after? Well, you know. I'm going to Vegas next week. Yeah. And- <laughs> 
and uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to fuck my partner. Uh, he doesn't yeah. know it yet, but I'm going to surprise yeah. him with it. I'm probably going to kill a couple of hookers while I'm there. <laughs> Not um, on purpose, but I got powerful s- cocaine. Snorting coke. Uh, I'm going to snort a shit ton of coke. <laughs> have some anal sex. I might even smuggle some guns in and start shooting up a country music festival while I'm there. Um, what's... I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure. What, what can I get? Yeah, what can I get to cover me for that? Oh, well, you know, because you don't want to do those things and then die on your way home oh, and right. go to hell. So oh, no. you've got to buy the indulgences ahead right. of time. It's a get-out-of-jail-free card. You get out of buy hell. Get-out-of-hell-free card. <laughs> yeah. We should be selling indulgence. That's how we're going to make money on our shows. We're going to start selling Rain Cam's indulgences. Right. Uh, we are on to only, something. Only valid in Vegas. No, um, still. So that, they were making so much money out of this stuff. So this is, you know, the way that they were making money, and, and bankers played a big role in this. So anyway. Um, by the way, by the time Baldassar becomes the Pope, um, you know, the, he's deep, deep, deep in with the Medicis. Uh, by 1420, the Rome branch of the Medici Bank was worth half of its profits. And just oh. making money out of, you know, the, the, the Popes and the Papal yeah. this and the Papal that. But it, what I want out. to point out is this is kind of a little bit um, uh, backwards, but the Pope in Rome... Mm-hmm. which is where Boldasar Cossa was. He was the Pope in Rome, but he was the anti-Pope. Right. Even though he was the Pope in Rome, huh. he was the anti-Pope because huh. right. the Cardinals were in Avignon and had declared the Pope of Rome the anti-Pope. He's like one oh. of the successors of Urban. Right, right. gotcha, gotcha. So he's still, the anti-Pope, even though he's he, in Rome. Yeah. But I think all that matters, he can be the anti-pope all he wants. But the point is, he's in Rome, he's sitting in the chair, and he's got his bank, and the Medici are in charge of the papal bank. So but as, I think yeah, but okay. as, as far as he's concerned, he's the real pope. Oh, yeah, As far absolutely. as the, the, the guys in Avenue, because he's, he's their fake pope. And this, you know, this is classic Christianity. So this, you know, like this, this go, people don't realize this, but you know, when you go back to the early fourth century when Constantine and Theodosius and blah, 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 You've got lots of different factions, as I've talked about before. You've got the Ebionites and the Marcionites, and you've got the Gnostics, and you've got the Trinitarians and the Arians, and and all of these different guys. They all believe they're the real Christianity. Right. And so they're, they're battling it out amongst each other until eventually the Trinitarians under Theodosius managed to do a deal because of Ambrose excommunicates him, et cetera, et cetera, and then they right. get... They're able to declare everyone else um, heretics. But, of course, right. the Goths are still Arians and they control Rome and all this. Different. He's down in Constantinople and blah, 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 blah. But they, they, it's always been this thing because, you know, you talk to Christians today and you go, well, you know, the, 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 how did these books make it into the Bible? These Gospels and all the other Gospels didn't make it in. They go, well, these are the real, this is the real ones by the right. real church, the real church. But this was just one faction that happened to do a deal with the emperor and made was able to declare everyone else heresy. So this the same thing's going on a thousand years later. <laughs> Spin doctors. They're yeah. still fighting. Oh, well, we're the real Pope. No, oh, we're the real Well, fuck you. And then a third Pope comes up. Right. Then there are three Popes. <laughs> anyway, 
Yeah. I want to talk about the, the annual income. I know we're running way over, but I've, we're nearly finished. The annual income for Giovanni in, in 1420, his income alone right. was 1,900 florins a year. Now, again, a florin's worth somewhere between 140 US dollars and 1,000 US dollars. So he's making a, you know, probably a couple of million dollars himself. Now, a, a, a gentleman, the, the hoi polloi, could right. live very comfortably on 200 florins a year. Oh. A skilled craftsman mm-hmm. would support his entire family on, a, on less than 100 florins. You could get a house and a garden in the city for about 35 florins a year. A handsome palazzo could be bought for 1,000. A maidservant would cost about 10 florins a year. A slave could be bought for 50 so 1,900 florins was a lot. That's, it's like right. podcast money right there, right. man. He was like <laughs> living, living like a podcast king. And, and that's just one branch, if I'm hearing you correctly, the, the bank in Rome, the, what he's making from the papal bank. No, no, that's what he's making all up. I think oh, oh, the papal okay. bank's all worth right. half of that. Oh, gotcha. Okay, thank you. Right. Now, this time, of course, there are three popes. John the Twenty-Third, Boldus Arcosa, mm-hmm. Gregory the Twelfth, and Benedict the Thirteenth. Three oh popes. Right. Now, most of the uh, clerical authorities believe that Pope John the Twenty-Third was the leading contender to be the, the last remaining pope. Oh. So, but they're going to have a sit down. They're finally going to have a sit down and get everyone together to try and figure out. Listen, we need to put. We need to. We need to. We need to finish this. All right. Yeah. We, this is crazy. Call this is embarrassing. The, the heads of the five families. We're going to come together <laughs> and we're going to sort this out. Now, um, King Ladislas of Naples right. has taken over now that Joanna's dead and uh, Chucky D is dead. He launches a military campaign against the rest of the papal states, and John the Twenty Third is forced to sign a treaty that involved paying King Ladislas right. ninety five thousand florins. What? A hundred million dollars he had to pay him. Fuck. Now, yeah. Even the Pope didn't have access to a hundred million dollars, <laughs> so right. he turns. <gasps> to Giovanni de Medici. Uh, oh and God. Giovanni decides, fuck it, in for a penny, in for a pound. <laughs> no, no, in for a penny, in for 95,000 florins. Yeah, $100 million. <laughs> and he, he, well, I mean, it may not have been that much, maybe. It might have been, you know, a few million. We don't really know. But it was a lot right. of money. Yeah. So, yeah, he decides he's going to stay in the game and keep his investment in Cossack in place. He wants a little bit of, um, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? Security? Um, Collateral. Yeah, security. Collateral. Yeah, yeah. Um, He gets uh, an ancient jewel-encrusted mitre Mm -hmm. and gold plate removed (laughs) from the papal treasury. This has got something. But you're right. I mean, he's put so much in this. And the potential, again, is so vast. Even though this is a shit ton of money, you put it up hoping things work out and you can keep on being the bank of the papacy. 
But there's still three popes, even after yes. this goes down. And so the Holy Roman Emperor Sigismund <laughs> decides it's time to end the yeah. Great Schism once and for all. So in 1414, he calls the Council of Constance, mm. summons all three popes to right. come and present their case before him. Right. This or is going to be in invade you Germany. all and Sorry. kill you all and decide it amongst right. myself. Exactly. Yes. But yeah, you come and put your case before me. I'll decide. Now, this is a very big moment because, again, this is Giovanni sticking his neck out and his, wall- and his wallet. So he's going to want to watch his, he's going to want to have his investment watched. So when John the 23rd going goes up to southern Germany, Giovanni is going to send his son Cosimo with John the 23rd on his journey, you know, north across the Alps. Cosimo at this point is only 25 years old. Yes, he has shown some promise as a banker, but now we're about to find out if he's a good diplomat. And if he screws this up, this could be the end of the Medici Bank because they are so massively in debt because um, Giovanni had to borrow some of the money to pay that 95000 forwards. He didn't just have it lying around. So now he is he owes money, and now he's putting everything that they've built for the last 200 years in the hands of his 25-year-old son, Cosimo. Cosimo, Cosimo. Kramer de Medici. <laughs> Let's find out what he's made of. Yeah. All right, let's wrap it up there. Uh, That is the end of episode 40. We'll be back next time with uh, more of the rise to power of the Medici family. I've got a feeling they're they're sort of on the right track, right? Yeah, yeah. So far, it's okay. So far. Will Pope John XXIII survive the great council of Constance? Tune in, same time, (laughs) next, same bat channel, same bat time. (laughs) next week.